Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and today we're going to talk about viruses in cats, specifically FIV and FELV. And joining us to do that is Dr. Brian Hurley. He's the National Medical Director for Amerivet Veterinary Partners. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hurley. Glad to be back. Yes, we sure love having you on the show. I was looking today, I think we've done seven episodes so far. Wow. Time's flying. I know. That's what I thought. I was like, wow, <laughs> didn't feel like that many. So, so this is great. And we've got lots more to talk about in the coming months as well. I don't, I don't know that we'll ever run out of, of cat health topics. So, <laughs> so okay. I hope you're still available. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I enjoy doing this with you. Good. So let's start with, with FIV. All right. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about this in in two settings in a in a home setting of course and a shelter setting because you know i think i think working in a shelter and being around shelter animals so often you know i i probably see more of it than people who just have their cat at home and so we get a lot of people that come into the shelter and there'll be a sign on a cat's kennel that says this cat is fiv positive and they always ask cuz i don't think it's common that they know what is it so start out with what does it stand for? And the question I always get is, is it similar to HIV in humans? Yeah, so FIV stands for feline immunodeficiency virus. Um, just like, you know, HIV is human insufficiency virus. So they are very similar in what they do to the bodies but they're very species specific. So FIV is not going to be transferred to dogs or to humans or to other animals because it's very specific to uh, the feline population. And so that's really the, 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 the difference. They're similar, but difference in the species they impact. Interesting. Interesting. So is it, is it transmitted in similar ways in, in felines? So in our feline patients, the the most common type for for FIV spread is through bites, bite wounds. So that's going to be your most popular. There isn't a high correlation of spread with casual contact, with utilizing litter boxes and uh, food bowls, uh, hanging out, out, mutual grooming. Those type of things don't tend to spread it. And remarkably, even, you know, reproduction isn't as high as you hear on the human side um, as as a as a cause of spread, you know, in our feline population. So uh, but those are the the main ways that, you know, that they are spread. So it's obviously it's very common in our outdoor population. 
Right, right. And so if it's mostly bite wounds, then is it is the virus actually in the saliva? And if that's the case, then in drinking water, you know, clear, obviously their saliva would go back in a water bowl, then another cat comes along and drinks it, would that be a risk? It's always a risk. So but it's rare to have that form of transmission. Though, again, when we talk about prevention, you know, we still address that. Uh, but bite wounds tend to be, you know, that major uh, reason why, you know, we see it. And our male, unneutered, outdoor yeah. cats are the highest at risk because they're more prone to getting in those bites out in, you know, the outdoor population uh, because they're seeking it, they're driven to fight, and that's why they're more heavily at risk than, say, our female counterparts. Yeah, that makes sense. And what are the signs? Like, how would you know to even test for FIV in in a in a private practice? I mean, obviously, in a shelter, we we do it all the time. I, although that's changing, I hear that that we're not FIV or FELV just testing as regular routine, especially if a cat's going to go back out to where it came from. But but in a home setting, what would you have to see in a patient to make you even want to test for it? So I think the as a veterinarian who had worked in private practice, we were big advocates. And, and, and I guess I'm still of that mindset that I think it's a great idea uh, to test our kittens and new cats to households when they come in. I mean, I could make the argument that maybe our kittens we could forego if we know where they came from and and we're we're confident that there was no exposure because they were born in a household setting and never been outside and the mother and father have never been outside, that type of thing. But I think it's a good screening mechanism. The hard part is, I think, with any of our viruses and diseases in cats, they all mimic each other. So it sounds like a broken record every time you and I talk. Lethargy, you know, running a fever. You know, they're just not performing well. They don't want to eat. They're depressed. Those tend to kind of be those early phases. And oftentimes they're just attributed to oh, you know, cat has a little cold and it goes away. And because there's three phases in our FIV patients where you kind of get that acute phase in the early infection where the symptoms may just be totally missed. Mm -hmm. And then you have kind of this latent phase that can last forever. So the virus is in there. So think about your AIDS patients, your human HIV positive. Just because they have it doesn't mean they're actively sick. And so you have this latent phase where usually they're normal. Um, it's really not until you get to that progressive component where it becomes active, where you start seeing, you know, the vomiting, the diarrhea, chronic skin issues, eye issues, urinary tract issues, upper respiratory tract issues, but you have to be thinking about it, you know, and, and that's the thing. It It's presenting like any of our other bacterial, viral, fungal infections, and we just have to be aware of that status. And a lot of that comes back to history, right? We need to know outdoor, indoor, are they fighters? Or are they not fighters? All those things 
really come into play. And how is it diagnosed? What 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 do you have to do to do the test? The good news is from a veterinarian's point of view, it's what we call an ELISA test. They're an enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay that we can run that on the FIV side is picking up antibodies that the body has formed when the virus is introduced to the body. And so we're able to pick those up. Now we have to be careful because everything has to be taken in context to what's happening, you know, with the pet. So you get a healthy cat come in, you test, they test positive. While we say, hey, your cat has tested positive for FIV, we will probably make further recommendations to ensure or try to confirm that they are truly positive. You get a kitten that comes in, they can get it from the mother. And because of the mother's circulating antibodies, appear positive and then somewhere down the road we could test them so normally in kittens we go oh okay they're positive we know it's probably not due to a bite wound let's retest in 60 days to see if they're if they've reverted to a negative status because the antibodies have cleared and we may do that up to six to eight months because we know it can take up to six months for things to change yeah that's that's interesting. So it's a blood test. It's basically it's a, a blood test. You get blood draw and and you get the results back pretty quickly, right? Is that the same thing that we do in a shelter, like a snap test? Is it's that- a snap test. Okay. So we're usually getting the results 10, 15 minutes. Uh we'll we'll have an idea, you know, and and we'll talk about this again during FELB, but it's a combo test. So we're usually yeah. testing both at the same time. And now they also test heartworm. So, right, <laughs> you know, but um, but that is the way we do it now. We can do other blood tests that you send out to reference labs, like Western blots and PCR testing and things like that, that look a little differently. They're looking at DNA and the viruses and things like that. I think the tests are pretty good, along with history and all that, mm-hmm. that the expense to run those tests aren't usually necessary, but they, they're there in case we need them. Yeah. Now, you know, it's funny in the shelter, you can almost, you can almost pinpoint which cats are FIV positive. You know, we've get last week, I saw this, uh, this cat, huge, giant, chunky, unneutered male cheeks and his eyes I don't know what it is about their eyes. Like their eyes have a little different shape, almost like they're a little swollen and they, they kind of have a funny shape to them, but you can almost always pick them out visually in right. a shelter setting. Oh yeah, we said you know I think we we kind of know when those FELV and FIV cats are coming in, and you know you sometimes just know by the history too. Yeah, and yeah. You, you see all the bite scars and lacerations, and you just you just know. Yeah, yeah. So when it, when they have it, it does it, it, it kind of reoccurs, right? So like if a stressful situation or something happens, is it, is it kind of like, like I know when cats get upper respiratory infections in the shelter, that virus seems to stay with them for their lifetime. And if they're stressed, that virus seems to come back out again. Is is FIV like that too, where 
if if something happens, you might see the cat having cold or flu-like symptoms on and off. It predisposes them to those I see. infections. So when the virus is latent, I, you know, let's face it, cats can get up respiratories for a wide variety of reasons. They can get eye infections for a wide variety of reasons. They can get these reoccurring issues. When, when we know that they're FIV positive, we tend to be more aggressive in the treatment because we want to keep the immune system as strong as possible because what we don't want is to get into that progressive disease where now they're on that downward spiral. That's what we're trying to prevent. So maintaining a stress-free life to the best that we can, making sure their exams are kept up to date and they're parasite-free, all these things that reduce stress only help them potentially live longer. Mm-hmm. Because once they get into that progressive downward spiral of consistent chronic weight loss and constant infections, that's when they become full-blown FIV infections. But it's, again, the the FIV weakens that immune system, and it's usually all the secondary things that end up creating the problem. Think about the human uh, AIDS. Once they become active, it's usually the pneumonias and the the protozoan infections that ultimately are the result of death because the HIV weakens the system. That's what FIV does in our, in our feline patients is once it hits that immune system, now the body can't fight off these infections. And sometimes we can't treat them because there's just no fight by the body anymore. Right. Is there any cure for FIV or any treatment for FIV other than treating these secondary things that come along? Unfortunately, there's no documented here at this point of FIV, it's it's managing those other symptoms as they occur. And it's also important for our, our feline owners to understand that they're FIV positive because when they get sick, it's not kind of a wait and see if they if it runs its course on its own. We're better off get, getting into the veterinarian so we can be proactive to make sure that we're helping the body as quickly as we can. Unlike that healthy cat that gets enough rest for, sometimes those will run their course. Yeah. Can't necessarily anticipate that with our FIV positive cats. I see. And so if you were a person looking to adopt a new cat and you go to your local shelter, which is what I always recommend people do, and and you see a cat, you fall in love with a cat that's FIV positive, should you be prepared for that cat not to live a full, you know, 18 year lifespan? And should you be prepared to then probably have a lot more medical expenses in this cat's life than a non-FIV positive cat? I think that's the million dollar question is it's hard to predict what's going to happen. So I have seen FIV positive cats live 19, 20 years of age. Mm. Yes, we treated for upper respiratory infections. We treated for other illnesses as they disease so that 
you know, so we know that the FIV probably had an impact, but I don't think that it necessarily means a death sentence, though we know once they hit that progressive disease, life expectancy is a lot shorter. Yeah. They're full blown, losing weight off their food, multiple infections. We could be talking months if, mm-hmm. at, at, at the most. So it's not a deterrent. It's just you're entering into pet ownership, understanding what FIV means. And it could be a short life and it could be a long life. And but they need a home just like all our yeah. other cats too. It doesn't necessarily mean it ha- has to be a death sentence for them. And it sounds like then that mixing, like if you have a cat at home that's not FIV positive and you fall in love with one at the shelter that is, uh, assuming it, it's also a, a really, really good situation of you've got to do that cat to cat introduction and integration into your home very carefully because you don't want them fighting. But assuming, of course, they're both neutered and and or spayed, you're probably not going to have the level of of inner cat fighting. And potentially they could live long, happy, healthy lives. You probably also want to keep an FIV cat indoors, right? So it's not exposed to a lot of stresses and other diseases out there. But assuming you did the introduction correctly and and kept the cat indoors in a low-stress species appropriate type of enriched environment there'd be no reason an fiv positive and a and a non-fiv cat couldn't live long happy healthy lives together right yes so i think (laughs) on the surface when we look at fiv knowing that the primary source is bite wounds and it's rare to see the more casual contact created in that socially um, positive environment, they can coexist and have a high likelihood that the negative cat never gets, you know, FIV. And think about it. In HIV, you can live with an HIV person, and as long as you're following certain guidelines, then there's that really low risk. We can't say it's not going to happen because there are there is evidence that some casual contact can spread the disease. It's just not that common. And so as a veterinarian, we're always going to say in the ideal world, different food bowls, different litter boxes, yeah. try to keep them separate to the best of your ability, because that definitely minimizes any risk. But obviously... That's not always realistic when when you take an FIV cat into your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, yeah, I think, you know, shelters have always traditionally housed FIV cats separately from, you know, when we have group rooms, we either have a, a group room of all FIV cats or we keep the FIV cats in, in individual kennels. And I've always thought that was kind of funny and a little hypocritical since we're telling people, oh yeah, adopt them. It's it's okay. You can have an FIV. <laughs> like, well, why aren't we mixing them in the shelter? <laughs> right. And I think in the ideal world, again, you want to keep them separate just because to hear that 
a healthy cat exposed, you know, you bring in an FIV positive and, you know, the last thing you want to hear is your veterinarian saying, oh, now this cat is positive for FIV. And I think human nature is, oh my gosh, this was my fault. I, I created this issue because it was the closed environment. And Mm -hmm. again, I think it's that education of just knowing, knowing this is what's best, but understanding the virus, we know we can intermingle them with some certainty as long, as long as they're not fighting and they're strictly indoors that, you know, there's a good chance that both will live long, healthy lives and the negative will stay negative and the positive will stay positive. Yeah. And I think too, in a shelter setting, we know that it's extremely stressful. So co-housing in a known super high stress environment is also probably not a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So F-E-L-V. Now this is spelled capital F, little e, capital L, capital V. And it's also a virus. So is it, is it spelled like that? Cause it's feline leukemia or, I mean, what, what, tell us about that. What does it stand for? And is it like a, like a leukemia? So it, so it's feline leukemia virus. Okay. That's why it's the FE for feline and then leukemia virus. Uh, and it is one of the more common viruses that we see in our feline population, you know, I think I've read, you know, in all the cats in the U.S., it's around a two to three percent positive. Um, and in our ill cats, you know, you see numbers greater than 30 percent. However, we will say that from a FELB point of view, we do have vaccinations that while they're not 100 percent, they have dramatically impacted number because there is that protective component to it. We used to back pre-2016, there were FIV uh, vaccines, Mm. but you also had to understand with the FIV vaccine that they would test positive because of the nature of that vaccine, where FELB, they won't, the vaccine will not make them test positive. So it was important to know the the, the vaccine status when FIV was available, but it hasn't been available for over seven years and probably won't be again, though it is available in other countries, uh, mm. the FIV. But yeah, I, you know, F, the FIV virus itself or the FELV virus, the thing with that, again, being a virus, it predisposes them to things like blood disorders, uh, cancer, cancerous processes. And just like FIV, it can also affect the immune system. So they get the immune deficiency disorders as well. And mm-hmm. so it does impact the, you know, the, the lymph nodes of the, you know, of the cat in early infection, you might even pick up swollen lymph nodes, mm-hmm. but oftentimes again, that phase is missed and then they just harbor it for a long time. And let's mimic back to FIV, low stress, good health, good nutrition, you know, becomes very important. Yeah. It's a lot more serious than FIV, right? And what makes it more serious? I guess, you know, again, the, the, the 
practical side of me says both of them are serious because ultimately they both can be fatal in our feline population. I think what makes leukemia a little more prevalent is bite wounds, again, are, are repre you know, represented in the spread because it, but it can be in saliva, nasal discharge, urine, feces. So all of a sudden you have to worry about the casual grooming. You have to worry about the food and water bowls. You have to, you know, worry about these things that in FIV, it's rare to have that spread in FELV, they become more prevalent. And so it makes it harder to prevent the spread because just living in the same household puts everybody at risk, you know, the, the negatives at risk. Now, if they're all positive, great. I, you know, I mean, they're all positive. Right. right. Stress-free environment and minimize fights because that's stressful. But, um, you know, but that's, I think, why I would say it's a little more uh, yeah. damaging just because of the number of ways it can be transmitted. I know in one of the shelters I work with, when we have an FELV positive cat, we put them in a lower kennel and, and kind of off to, so we don't put them in an upper kennel because someone had said it'll, that'll flake off and potentially down to the lower kennel. Is that, what does that mean? Well, I think it's all the, you know, cat sneezes. It aerosolizes the. Ah, so know, it can, it can be. And it fall, you know, if they're up top, it's going to fall through, you know, down and potentially air currents could carry it in the pages ah. below where if you sneeze and you're below, unless you have some upward draft. Yeah. You know, I, would be my explanation as to why you may have heard that is, you know, just because things tend to fall, not. Yeah. And so, it, and so it can be airborne. It can be communicable airborne. If, if a cat has it and is sneezing and those particles then are in the air and another cat breathes it in, they could, they could get it. Absolutely. Oh, you know, so that becomes, you know, more of, you know, more of the issue. And, and it, and it's important to say that these are prolonged contact, you know, so just walking by and a cat sneezes has FBLV doesn't necessarily mean, oh my gosh, you're going to get the, you know, the virus, just like, you know, somehow a cat goes and drinks out of a water bowl or food bowl and one time high likelihood they probably aren't going to get the virus it's more the consistent yeah uh, contact and as the virus load becomes greater because they're constantly hanging out starts to increase that risk. I see. And so you probably wouldn't recommend then an FELV positive cat to be living in a household with non-FELV cats. In the ideal world, no. Yeah. Just because there's a greater likelihood that commingling is going to eventually convert the negative into a positive. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes it hard. You know, I know... Uh, we, you received an email that you shared with me and, and we have to take 
everything we know about environments and the households and all those things when we're making recommendations. And, you know, and I know that one of the things sometimes we talk about, which sounds very harsh, but it's that whole concept of, you know, at what point could euthanasia be that viable option because otherwise there's no other option because that cat's going to probably end up infecting more cats in the long run. And it, and so it has, it has to be discussed with pet owners, not to be mean. It's just, we have to lay everything out. And I kind of discussed it because that's the serious nature of the virus. You know, we have to understand that this isn't a casual, yeah, not going to worry about it. And if the cat ends up going outside, so be it. Really, what's it going to cost? Well, as veterinarians, we have to worry about what's it going to cause. You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes it does get owner's attention when you say, here's here's what we can recommend for the protection of all our other cats. Again, not spread to us, not spread to dogs. It's species specific. But, you know, we have to be leery of what's going on outside. Yeah. And and unlike FIV, FELV does have uh, impact their lifespan pretty significantly, right? It most definitely can. But, you know, I, I, I know that uh, a lot of reports are in that vicinity of, you know, 2.5 you know, years once diagnosed with leukemia. I've also been in practice long enough to say I that's the median average, but I would probably say in my career in private practice, mine were probably longer because again, I think with education and getting the pets in and maintaining stress-free environments and best thing that ever happened was more cats being kept indoors because it automatically takes a lot of factors and stresses off the, you know, off the plate, so to speak, that we stand a better chance at these cats living longer lives. What we can't control is when the virus decides, all right, it's time. And, and then it starts to impact, you know, overall. And when we look at the signs of, Leukemia, just like FIV, all very similar. Weight loss, loss of appetite, poor coat. Here you might get the enlarged lymph nodes, you know, because it does affect the T lymphocytes. Uh, Persistent fever, which again, any bacterial infection can do. Now, what we can see is pale gums. So it can create anemia, which can be devastating, obviously, because that can get critically low. We see dental disease and we see that with both viruses, by the way, FIV mm. and um, FELV. So sometimes when you're struggling with these chronic stomatitis cases, you want to make sure they're virus free. Yeah. That could explain a lot of what's going on. Yeah. Even though we know it's not the end all be all. It's something very important to look at. Infections anywhere in the body, um, seizure activity, all these things could be symptoms of FELV. And hopefully somewhere along the way, there's something in the history that we tested 
just so at least we know the status. And then if somewhere down the road, you know, they were to show symptoms and we couldn't pinpoint it, we might retest, you know, and at least we know that they didn't come with it necessarily. And that's, I think, why we're so aggressive when new cats come to the hospital, kittens are coming in because we just want to know their status today. And if you look at um, AHA's recommendation on feline leukemia, because now we have a shot the last two years, what they recommend in the ideal world, again, test your cats when they come in, when they're negative, you do the first series. And with that, when it's due for the next shot, you now look at what the lifestyle has become. If they stayed strictly indoors, there's no new cats in the household, don't give the shot. Mm-hmm. If they end up being that cat that just kept escaping and they finally gave in, we need to continue the shot. And so that is kind of the ideal. What we tend to do realistically is ask questions, knowing that leukemia is one of the shots that have been um, talked about as potentially creating uh, fibrosarcomas, which can be Mm. devastating in our cats. So kind of a vaccine induced type of, of vaccine. Um, and there's a lot of reasons. So this is not the end all be all, but at one point it was like one in 10,000 cats may develop with that shot. We kind of really talk about what the, you know, what the environment the cat's going to be in indoor, outdoor, more cats, less cats, you know, are you bringing strays in so we can really determine whether leukemia shots are warranted because we have that other factor that we need. Yeah. Yeah. That's I didn't know about that. That's, but you know, if you have a cat like Pico that's Mm -hmm. indoors, I mean, he has a catio, but there's no other cats in the catio and all the fosters I bring home have already been tested for FIV, FELV, if they're old enough, obviously. And when he goes out of the house, he's on a leash and a harness and he's not coming in contact with other, with other cats then I, and, and yes, I'm at the shelter a lot, but I'm probably not bringing it home on my shoes or my clothes. So he wouldn't be a high risk enough category to, to probably warrant doing the vaccination. Right. No. And I think that's the big thing, you know, as long as you know that they're not at risk of meeting strange cats that we don't know their status, you're probably safe. You know, if they were FIV, again, if they're not fighting, we're okay in most instances where leukemia, we know if there's that constant contact uh, because of the environment, it's worth the discussion to know what's the best course of action. Yeah. Sadly, the FELV positive cats are very, very, very difficult to place in a, in a shelter. The ones that find themselves in homeless in shelters, it's it's hard. It takes a long time before their their unicorn adopters come on. Yeah, it. I mean, it's tough, and I think with both of them, you know, they're tough because recommendations, particularly from veterinarians, are trying to restrict exposure. And so assuming a lot of our clients already have cats and they're just looking for that next cat, 
it's really tough to bring in that FIV or FELB CAD just due to risk for the existing population. Um, but we, you know, some owners, they develop a, you know, love of caring for those cats and took the time to understand likelihoods and, and things like that. And they give them an opportunity and, and that's what we have to, you know, to rely on. Yeah. Those viruses are tough, but, you know, it's not like we say, oh, it's human, has HIV, we might as well euthanize them because they're going to put the population at risk. Right. <laughs> we can only educate. And I think as long as we do our job at educating, that's all we can do. And then we have to trust the owners to understand. And And I know that despite some of my best efforts every once in a blue moon, they did not follow my recommendations. Sure. Sure. I don't think any of us do everything our doctors tell us to. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, it just makes me sad because, you know, unfortunately when you're in practice over 25 years, like I was, and you know, a neighborhood that has a lot of outdoor cats, you know, you've diagnosed one, you know, you've asked them to keep it in the house. And then you know the neighbor comes in and their cat's now positive and they weren't before and you go, yeah, yeah. this is what we tried to prevent. But we do the best that we can. Exactly. It's one of the things, you know, when we recommend always keep your cats indoors. Yes, they love to be outdoors. Yes, they're bored indoors. It's a lot of work keeping a cat indoors, but... It's, you know, there's so many risks for them out there. And when we say diseases are a risk of outdoor cats, I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about. No, absolutely. And, you know, and, and I'd like to think, you know, kind of going back to um, the listener that sent you the email, you know, I, I would like to think having that relationship with the veterinarian and the veterinarian being able to explain, you know, not only making the statement, but taking it a step further as to why just becomes important. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, how do you choose a, a veterinarian? You have to feel comfortable with the recommendations they're making. And if you're questioning why they're doing it, then I agree with the statement. But in that case, I, I wonder how it was like, was there a, a better explanation? So there was understanding. Yeah. You yeah. Know, just versus thinking it was mean, you know, couldn't believe a vet would say that's what you, you know, you need to do. Right. Right. To, to, and, and what he's referring to is we'd received an email from a, from a listener who had a vet recommend euthanasia for an FELV positive cat. And, um, yeah, like you said, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend euthanasia for my friends that have leukemia. I mean, you know, yeah. so no, it's just a lifestyle change, right? Exactly. And unfortunately exactly. we're still responsible for changing that lifestyle because we can't talk to them and say, Hey, you need to stay in. You need to minimize your stress. You can't do this. You can't do that. <laughs> we have accepted the responsibility of managing them in a way that's appropriate for their, you know, for, for their age and um, disease processes and all those things. 
The one thing that we didn't talk about that we usually talk about, this is the one time too. I mean, nutrition is always important. And we've had these discussions and mm -hmm. we can talk all day long about good foods, bad foods and all those things. But this is the one time where the raw diets become, you know, highly recommended not to feed because of the exposure to potential pathogens like bacterias and parasites yeah. that they could be exposed to, that they're going to be at much greater risk than yeah. a healthy you know, cat that is being fed that same diet. It's not that they're not prone to issues, but these guys, their immune systems could make it harder for them to deal with those infections and it could set us down the wrong path, you know, if they were truly exposed to one of those pathogens. Sure. Yeah. And that's a good, that's a, that's a good point. I had, I had heard that, that you definitely didn't want to feed raw to, to specifically FELV cats, potentially FIV positive cats as well. Absolutely. And you probably wouldn't want to do, you know, what we're fixing to set out to do and take them on a 10 hour road trip either. <laughs> Unless they chill when they're in the car, if they're getting car sick, that's a stress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know many cats that just totally chill. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> True. Well, thank you. This has been, uh, this has been very informative and, uh, and I hope everybody um, learn something uh, from today and and um, and we'll tune in next time when we have Dr. Hurley back next month. And thank you as always for sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Well, thank you for having me again. I always look forward to it. Absolutely. And thank everybody for tuning in. Until next time, keep calm and purr on. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop.